Hello, and welcome to Self-Taught Devs. If this is your first time joining us, this is a podcast where two self-taught developers discuss the learning and growth experience for folks just getting into the industry. My name is Eric Winklespecht. And I'm Matt Ehrlich. Before we start with today's conversation, just another reminder that we want to hear from you. We've got a number of ways for you to interact with the show. Number one, you can reach out to us on LinkedIn, either Matt or myself. Check the show notes for our direct links. You can reach out to the Self-Taught Devs LinkedIn page. You can always email us at selftaughtdevs at gmail.com. If you're listening on Spotify, you can interact directly with the episode you're listening to. There's a little Q&A on there that you can respond to, and we'll read those on a future episode. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, if you'd be so kind to leave a rating and review, you can write a message to us, just like uh, Jeremy W. did on his five-star review, saying, thank you, guys. Keep up the positivity in your message. I'm just starting this whole journey and find a lot of useful info and behaviors and things to avoid, especially having to work and study in my time off of work. I appreciate you guys. Thank you, Jeremy. We appreciate you too. Matt, what are we talking about today? Today, we are revisiting a topic, and that topic is imposter syndrome. Now, we made a whole episode about this, and that was episode number four. But I went through that episode recently, and I actually have some different ideas on imposter syndrome after thinking about it for a while. In the last episode, I talked about having imposter syndrome. But after some reflecting and thinking about it, I realized that I've actually never experienced imposter syndrome before in anything. Hmm. Um, and I kind of want to take more of like a deep dive into the topic and kind of reflect back on that. Okay. I, I also listened to the old episode on imposter syndrome. I'm glad I did because it also made me think a lot about, number one, how I felt in that moment of time doing that episode and kind of the culmination of things with LinkedIn that I was doing and, you know, whatever that's about. But um, I think we'll dive into that stuff eventually. But you made a really interesting point right away, which is you've never experienced imposter syndrome. So I, I can we start with that? Because I'm already like, what do you mean? How? <laughs> yes. Yeah, so two examples that I gave last time, one had to do with sports, mm -hmm. my, uh, me growing up and doing sports. And one had to do with a program that I was doing as a park ranger. So I'll start with the first one. Um, I talked about how I would basically like dominate in practice. And then when it came time to play in like an actual game against a team, I would make a lot of mistakes. I would kind of lose myself a little bit. And the fact that if I was playing those same people, but it was practice or like an actual fun game, it would be completely different. And what I realized is I kind of had performance anxiety. I never mm -hmm. had imposter syndrome. I knew that I had the ability Right. I think imposter syndrome is when you get to a certain point and you believe that you don't deserve what you have, right? Or you don't meet that expectation. I knew that I had the skill and I knew that I deserved to be like a starter as, in a, as a basketball player because I had put in so many reps. For five years straight, I played basketball almost every single day. Right. So it was like my life at that time. And I knew what I was doing and I knew that I deserved to play. I just had anxiety at that time and I never had imposter syndrome with sports. The other example that I give is um, when I was a park ranger and 
the senior ranger basically asked me if I did this certain type of program before. And I said, no. And he goes, well, great. You're doing it tomorrow. Right. And I was all types of worried, but I had done programs before. I had just never done that type of program before. So I had never done the thing to begin with to say that I can't do that thing. Right. If I had done that specific program so many times and I got to the point where I was like, well, I can't do it. I, you know, I don't know what I'm doing. That's another story. I just never did that thing. And even in programming, I've never actually had imposter syndrome. I kind of always knew where I was at in the skill level. So yeah, reflecting back, I've never actually had imposter syndrome. You said some really interesting stuff there and you dropped a term a couple of times and you basically said anxiety. You had anxiety about stuff, but you don't really feel like you had imposter syndrome. I have been thinking about this topic and I... We'll take a step back and kind of give it a little bit more of a definition in a second, but I really feel like we should probably just call imposter syndrome what it is, and it is a form of anxiety. I've read a few articles, and here's sort of a definition, I guess, if you want to call it that, from this website, Very Well Mind, which I don't really know what the website is exactly, but it had one of the better definitions that I saw. You might have imposter syndrome. If you find yourself consistently experiencing self-doubt, even in areas where you typically excel, imposter syndrome may feel like nervousness accompanied by the belief you'll be, quote, found out, and it may also manifest as self-talk or negative self-talk. So the process of going into an activity or being given a responsibility and, I guess, feeling like you are just not capable for whatever reason that might be and that people are going to like identify you as incapable but that's anxiety as an overall theme like that's just anxiety right i guess it depends because if we i can only speak about my own experiences right and speaking about my experience growing up i was very antisocial and i was a like an extreme introvert so i think the point that hit me with sports was like well, I'm an introvert and now I'm surrounded by hundreds of people. And so that was the point that really got me messed up. Mm -hmm. Whereas I, I didn't have negative self-talk when it came to sports. I never had that self-doubt. I always just kind of like, I did what I had to do and I had put in so many reps. And so like for that example that I gave, I didn't really, I can't really say it's on the same level of anxiety, right? It was sort of like a different thing to me. I'm trying to think of calling, like what to call it, right? Because it's more specific. Anxiety is very broad. Sure. Yeah. Right? And yeah. so it's like, maybe it is a, a subcategory under anxiety, right? Mm -hmm. But I think it is its own thing. Yeah. I just, I hear, I hear a lot of conversations about imposter syndrome, especially in the software development space, right? I, I think it's a pretty well-known topic for folks who are learning or trying to get their first job or are on their first job because it's one of the things that I see people mention about like the learning process. It's like you're going to have imposter syndrome. You're going to have these feelings. I never see people call it anxiety, but I'm leaning more towards it being like, maybe pull back the curtain a little bit more and, you know, it, maybe it's a little more uncomfortable to call it a kind of anxiety. 
you know, you're right. Anxiety is a very broad term and it encompasses a lot of different feelings. So maybe imposter syndrome is kind of, you know, the pinpoint or subcategory of anxiety and make it this specific subcategory. But I think it's, you know, it's worth it to identify it as a type of anxiety because maybe that gives us a different skill set to try to understand and deal with those feelings, right? Especially when it comes to like negative self-talk, which I think in my experience of having imposter syndrome or having anxiety is a thing that I tend to deal with where it's, you know, it can be the little, the little thing of like, oh, I don't know that I'm, I don't know what I'm doing, or I can't really do this, or, you know, I got lucky. You know, I think that's really a big one that comes up with imposter syndrome especially when developers get their first job, I see a lot of folks say, oh, I got lucky. I really lucked out to get this first role. I'm so lucky that I got this job. And maybe that isn't a very clear manifestation of imposter syndrome on its surface, but dig down and it really is, right? Because you're not lucky that you got that job. You found an opportunity and you were prepared for that opportunity. And someone else thought so too and offered you that position because they felt you could do the job, right? So you have the, the proof there that you've earned this position. And when people say they get lucky, there's that imposter syndrome, there's that anxiety that they don't really think they deserve or, or can perform there correctly, right? But there's some nuance, nuance to that because it's going to be more specific to the individual of what their actual feelings are, right? But Oh, that anxiety, man. I just, I want to get comfortable with it, you know? So I have, I actually have a perspective of this and I want to address what you said um, about luck first, and then I'll get into imposter syndrome on the software side. So I think part of it actually is luck, right? And I, let me speak from my own, um, my own past. So, and, and I'll go back to becoming a park ranger. The way I actually became a park ranger, one of the things that led me to becoming a park ranger is I had gotten super stressed out at my previous job and I quit and like I wasn't working for some time. And one day randomly, I just decided to look on LinkedIn and I eventually found a job for the parks department working at a recreation center. I was like, you know, this is a seasonal job. I'll just take it, whatever. I don't care. And I'll find another job after that. And eventually that job led to a full-time position and me becoming a park ranger. But if I had not looked on LinkedIn at that particular time, I think I found that job at like the last week it was open. If I didn't find that job at that kind of like last minute point and look on LinkedIn, I would have never become a park ranger. So part of that is luck. And, you know, maybe you found the right person at the right time. I think you had the skill, of course, right? That wasn't luck. But maybe, you know, you found somebody through, I don't know, a post on LinkedIn and, and it was at the perfect time and you messaged that person. So I think, you know, I'm not saying that was your experience. I'm saying, you know, maybe that mm -hmm. did happen. Part of it is luck. And I don't think it's, um, I don't think we should discount the luck part of it, right? Of course, it's important to have those skills, but sometimes you're in the right place at the right time after you've been preparing for so long. And I want to address imposter syndrome in software because I think the term is vastly overused. Mm -hmm. um, it's become one of those things where it's like imposter syndrome, imposter syndrome, imposter syndrome. If you've been learning for three months, you don't have imposter syndrome, you just suck. And <laughs> that sounds... That sounds like very inflammatory, but I actually made a post about this, right? I was mm -hmm. like, 
man, I've been learning for so long and I just realized that I suck at coding, but that's okay because I just started and I'm learning, right? Like how can you have imposter syndrome if you're just starting that thing? Imposter syndrome usually refers to like, maybe you've been put in a position or like you're a high performer and then you don't believe in yourself that you deserve the things that you have already, right? Well, when you're first starting out, you don't have anything. There's nothing to have imposter syndrome over. And I think in that person's case, you might not actually have imposter syndrome. You're just going through the learning process. It's hard. You suck at the beginning. Everyone sucks at the beginning, right? It takes a lot of time to learn. You fail a lot. You fall on your face. You pick yourself back up. It takes hours and days to learn a skill. That's all just a part of the process. But when you see somebody like maybe who's been doing the job for one, two, three years talking about imposter syndrome, that's probably more of imposter syndrome, right? So I think it just depends on the person. Yeah, I think you make a really great point. I, I, as harsh as it might sound, yes, I do agree that if you're feeling quote unquote imposter syndrome and you're just on, you know, the early stages of the learning path, yeah, you're just learning. It's okay to not know stuff. It's okay to struggle with the learning process. That doesn't mean you're an imposter. It means you're still building those skills. I also think you make a really sound point when you're saying like imposter syndrome is or should be, let's say, reserved for specific use case, right? Which doesn't necessarily need to be employment explicitly, but I think it makes the most sense in our conversation when we talk about it as employment you know, given a responsibility to do something and for whatever reason, feeling like you're not actually capable to do that, that responsibility to handle whatever that is. What Matt, do you think then is the appropriate response? You know, I mean, you, you said pretty, pretty strongly at the top of this conversation, you're like, I haven't felt imposter syndrome. Okay. What do you think is the right way to handle it if you do feel imposter syndrome? What do you think is the mindset to take on? Because those feelings can be pretty strong for folks. You know, it can stop people from really reaching their potential if they doubt themselves that heavily and they really don't feel like they can do something. What would you recommend? Yeah. And um, well, first off, I want to make a statement. Like when I said, like, you probably suck, it's not coming from like a point of superiority because that's what I said to myself. Sure. Right. It's yeah. not like a, I'm good. You suck. It's like, I recognize <laughs> that, that quality in myself. So I know what the hell I'm talking about here, but I would say it actually, um, we had this conversation before and I remember you were taught, you said something along the lines of, yeah, I've spun up a node server. So or node and express server so many times that like, I could just do it with my eyes closed at this point. Right. It's like because you put in so many reps, you could like you just like get into the flow of things and you know what you're doing. And, you know, a lot of times, specifically for me with basketball, I was the same way. Like I didn't I put in so much time and so much so many reps and it was years of hard, hard, hard work. That I was just like, I can't have imposter syndrome because I could just do the thing. So mm -hmm. I think it's important to ask yourself, can you do the thing that is being asked of you? Can you actually do it? Have you done it so many times before? And in programming, that might be a little bit different 
because you might be asked to do something that you have never done before. But think about all the times before, like when you were learning a new skill, right? At that point, that skill was super hard. You had no idea what you're, you were doing, but you took certain paths to learn that thing. And eventually you learned that difficult thing. So I think falling back on previous times that you've done super difficult things that you thought were hard and took you a lot of time to accomplish and just saying like, yeah, I've done this sort of thing before. Why is this time any different? I think mm -hmm. that could help with imposter syndrome. Yeah. Looking back on past accomplishments, even if they're not exactly aligned with what you're trying to do, I like that as a strategy. So my experience now, having a full-time software engineering job, I don't know that I've really felt imposter syndrome in this position, but I have felt nervous from time to time. I have felt feelings of intimidation, I guess, you know, when it comes to being assigned certain projects. I felt it when being assigned a very large project, which is basically like build a whole new thing and rewrite all this stuff and, you know, build new functionality so we can have um, external communication and, and internal communication on this application, meaning like submit through API or submit through a front end. And I've never built that specific application before. I've never used the technologies I'm using for this thing before. I've never worked at the speed I'm trying to work at before. When I was given the responsibility to take this task on, I didn't feel like I couldn't do it, but I had a lot of questions that I had to answer, right? Of like, how am I going to make this thing work? What specific technologies am I going to use? How am I going to approach this project at all? And et cetera, et cetera. The list goes on and on and on. And you hit those problems too as you're working because you encounter a new thing you didn't account for. And then you have to find a solution for that, et cetera, et cetera. So there's tons of just big question marks when you're doing that new thing. And yes, previous experience I can lean on, but the biggest thing that I've been leaning on with this experience has been... Well, am I capable of solving problems when it comes to software engineering? Regardless of what the problem is, do I feel that I can figure something out, right? Even if it's not the most optimal, even if it's not, you know, at first pass the best possible answer, do I have the belief in myself that I can figure something out? And to your point, Matt, like looking back on just my process in learning software development, going from absolute zero to getting a full-time job, like I look back at that course of time and say like, yeah, I can figure a lot of stuff out. You know, I can problem solve. I've got the tool set to research and experiment and understand, you know, technologies in a way that I can, I can find the answers. I can make the answers to this stuff. So I think that for me combats a lot of feelings of what could be imposter syndrome. And maybe, you know, call it the, I like, people like to say fake it till you make it, right? Which I don't love that saying, but I think it might be prevalent for some folks or helpful for some folks to kind of use that as a mantra, because even if they don't feel that they can right off the bat do something, well, approach it as if you can do something, right? Fake it maybe if you have to for yourself in the beginning and approach that problem as if you know you can do it because 
I think confidence speaks a lot to just moving forward, right? And making something happen. Yeah, absolutely. And your story kind of goes along with what we were just talking about. You've you've done the problem solving before. And what are you doing now? Problem solving. It's in a different aspect, but you've put in so much time to build up those skills to know how to learn how to do that new thing, right? That doesn't mean you know how to do it now, but you know, those learning how to learn and knowing how you've learned, especially technical things, you know, you've put in all of that time. And it's it's hard for me to think of somebody who's just starting off, right? Especially when putting myself in their shoes. I know that I had not put in enough time learning those technical skills in the beginning to say that I had imposter syndrome, right? Mm -hmm. I didn't have anything to draw on. And so, you know, that that's something that I think about. And I think another point that I would like to make is, and I can't say this definitively because I haven't experienced it, but I've heard from a lot of other people in our community, right? And it's that the job market has changed a lot in the last few years. Now, I haven't really been around that long to see a job market change. I just kind of like really started when it was quote unquote hard. Hmm. But a lot of people are saying, well, you know, I knew HTML, CSS, a little bit of JavaScript, and I got a job. And so if you did that right nowadays, and you were really good at just HTML, CSS, plain JavaScript, and you built so many applications in that, and you're saying you have imposter syndrome, and it was that job market, then I would say, yeah, you might have imposter syndrome, like you've done this so many times. But now, if you think about like how difficult it is to to get a job based on, you know, that previous experience that other people talk about. If you look at the job applications, you need like 700 skills. Of course, I'm exaggerating, right? But you need <laughs> a lot, a lot more skills and you need to know a lot more things. So like now, if you're watching, let's say YouTube videos or listening to other people's experience from years ago, and you're trying to match yourself up to that, well, the the requirements to become a developer have changed a lot in the last few years. So maybe, you know, you don't have imposter syndrome. Maybe you just need to put in more time than say somebody else, or maybe you need to put in way more reps than somebody else um, might've done a few years ago. Or maybe that your that YouTube video that you watched about how somebody became a developer in three months. Well, maybe that doesn't apply anymore, right? So things have changed also. And if you're comparing yourself to other people, you might think you have imposter syndrome, but you might just need to put in a lot more time than say somebody else. The comparison thing, I think is probably a, a really important point to double down on. You know, like I think people feel like they're an imposter when they compare themselves to others, just in general, you know, I think we should, you know, for sticking in the software engineering space, you see all those YouTube videos, all those tutorials where people just bang out a larger project and it seems like they're not having any problems. And now this was a huge point that you made back in the day, let's say, of like, things don't go that way, right? You're going to hit problems, you're going to hit errors, and things are going to go wrong, and you have to find your ways to fix those things. Yeah, you're probably going to feel like you don't know what you're doing if you watch somebody work through a pre-planned project for a YouTube video and then you go and try to build a project yourself and hit a bunch of errors because you're just learning, you know, like 
That stuff sucks. And that makes you feel bad. Is it just, should we just kind of take a, you know, 10,000 foot view of this thing and talk about just the things that make you feel bad are probably things you need to address, right? And like, try to have a a healthy perspective on why those things make you feel bad and then have an approach to try to fix those things. Is that, am I off base with that? I think that's exactly right. And speaking from my own experience, um, when I was saying to more experienced developers that I didn't feel ready to have a job as a developer, that was coming from my own assessment of my own skills and like the amount of time that I put in and my own ability. And I was being told, oh yeah, man, you're ready now. Like you should have applied for jobs months ago. But, but I knew my own skill. I knew the the reps I put in. I knew the amount of time it took me to learn things. And so for me, I knew that I would have to be way more quote unquote ready than let's say compared to somebody else who might've been ready at, I don't know, a few months in or whatever. So that told me that I needed to double down on, let's say JavaScript fundamentals. I needed to learn how to work with React a lot better. And I think that matches up with what you just said, right? If you're having those insecurities, okay, well, that sh should probably be something that you need to work more on, right? Until you're a lot more confident in your own ability. If things are coming naturally to you because you put in so much work, well, then you probably won't have that like imposter syndrome that we speak of a lot for, especially for junior devs. Yeah, I, I think too, when it comes to like, when you say putting in the work, that also doesn't mean preventing yourself from tackling those things that are maybe uncomfortable, you know, especially when it comes to like finding your first job and applying and interviewing. Interviewing is one of those things where like, yeah, you're probably going to get imposter syndrome when you go through some of those interviews, right? When they're, you're, you're getting pummeled with technical questions or you have to solve a coding challenge live in front of somebody. You know, I don't know how many people are experiencing actual like in-room whiteboard coding sessions anymore, but like coding in an online environment where there are people like on a call with you and, you know, watching you solve that problem. It, that's nerves like crazy. You know, I definitely didn't feel great doing that stuff the first couple of times I did it. But I think the only reason I felt better over time doing it was because I kept doing it, you know, and I kept practicing and you know, on my own and practicing in live interview sessions, you know, that's practice. I don't want my statement of like, if it feels bad, you need to make an assessment, make people think that they need to stop what they're doing if it feels bad. Right. But it also means like understanding why it feels bad, understanding how to approach that problem in a positive way, understanding, like you said, when you need more reps, and, you know, when you're struggling and just kind of need to maybe learn it in a different way or, or take a different approach on something like that, it's not easy to address these kinds of feelings at any point, right? I, man, I, I would love to talk to somebody in the future that has been in the field for a really long time who struggles with imposter syndrome or has struggled with imposter syndrome, because I've heard about folks who say like, it doesn't matter how long you're doing this for, you're always going to struggle with imposter syndrome. I don't really know how to take that statement, you know, because maybe, but 
I think even in this conversation, I I, I came in here having kind of a, an opinion on imposter syndrome, but even just talking to you about it, like that opinion kind of is is flexible because imposter syndrome, I think, manifests itself in a lot of different ways for a lot of different people. And you have to address it in different ways. It's all individual, but like, does it last forever? Do people out there have have the the great misfortune to just know that for the rest of their lives they are not immune to these feelings of imposter syndrome? That it's just going to keep happening to them based on maybe their career progression? I'm not really sure. Yeah, I think this is why language is very important, right? And the way we use words and terms is also very important because do those people have imposter syndrome or are they doing difficult things, right? Mm. Because difficult things are difficult things for a reason. They're hard. They make you, they might make you feel nervous or anxious, right? They may, might make you sweat a little bit, right? Your heart might start racing. Um, you have to put a lot of brain energy and focus into that thing, right? And do they have imposter syndrome? I don't know, right? I can't say. Or maybe they're just doing a difficult thing in a difficult field. Yeah, I think you kind of have to determine that for yourself, but I think grouping everything into the term imposter syndrome might be a bit of a mistake because I do believe it has become very overused. And I want to make a disclaimer, right? So this is coming from my experience. So I've never had a software interview, right? I've never been a full-time developer. So, you know, to the listeners take that with, as they say, a grain of salt, right? Different people might have different views on this, but I think based on my own experience, imposter syndrome is a very specific thing. And, you know, calling everything imposter syndrome might be a mistake. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, called a buzzword, I guess, right? One of the, one of the LinkedIn buzzwords that's just going to get attention and, and, the influencer world is going to grab onto anything that is possible to get more attention. What else can we do to combat imposter syndrome, Matt? Because I think for me, it's recognizing negative self-talk. I think that's one of the things that in my personal experience tends to manifest itself when I'm feeling bad about whatever it is that I'm trying to do or approaching a problem or, or what have you. I've gotten pretty good at recognizing when, you know, even if it's something small, where it's like doubting my capability to do something, it can be influential. You know, self-talk is a really powerful thing, but it also can be really powerful if used in the positive direction, you know, catching yourself in that moment and just kind of saying out loud, like, yeah, I can do this thing. I've done hard things before. I've solved difficult problems before. I can solve this too. Might not know how to do it right now, but I can figure it out. You know, so that's one of my big things that I've been focusing on uh, as I grow in this field, in this career, and just keeping myself on track to try to combat those negative feelings, to combat whatever imposter syndrome may be. Uh, what do you think, Matt? What's what's going on in your side of things? Yeah, I think um, that negative self-talk is is very important. Um, but for for me, the two methods are one as we mentioned before, drawing back on previous experiences, I've gotten so caught up in a program-related problem 
where I've just spent like hours trying to tackle this thing. I'm getting upset at myself. I'm cursing at my computer, calling myself bad words and names and all types of things. And then I just stop and say, wait a minute, this isn't like a new type of issue. You've done this sort of thing before. Sure, it's a different type of problem, but you've gotten stuck here before and eventually you moved past it and now you're here again. So if you did it before, you could do it this time, right? And so just having those experiences to draw on, I think could really um, help you with imposter syndrome. And the second thing I would say is <clears throat> for me to really feel confident in something, I need to put in so many repetitions. And this this is really just how I am, especially if I'm learning something or when I was going through law enforcement training for becoming a park ranger, the tests that we would take, the written tests, I knew that in order to feel confident in my knowledge of what I was being tested on, I had to make index cards and basically hours and hours every single day, I had to go over the same ones multiple times until I was confident in my ability to answer those questions. The same thing can be applied to programming, right? That's why it's so important to make lots of projects and make your own projects, right? And project-based learning, because that's where you're putting in those reps. That's where you're building things and you're learning those technical skills. And, you know, if you are putting in the reps and you could draw on previous experiences, I think that might be very good for helping with imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. I would recommend that if folks are interested, if they haven't already listened to it before, uh, episode 51, learning new things. I think we talked a lot about just approaching the activity of learning something new. And I think a lot of the things we talked about there apply in this conversation, you know, when it comes to like how to go about learning, how to not, you know, dissuade yourself out of that process, how to be uh, long-term with learning, you know, and how to approach problem solving. I think a lot of that stuff works in this conversation because like, they're transferable skills, right? When it comes to tackling imposter syndrome and learning how to deal with those feelings, right? Why not check it out and hopefully those things apply. How do you feel, Matt? You think we covered all the bases here on our, what, over a year outtake on imposter syndrome, imposter syndrome revisited? I think so. I think we've made a bit of a transformation from our, um, from our other episode. And I think we got some, some good information in here. Let's wrap this up as we always do by talking about the Patreon. First of all, thank you for listening. If you want to help support the show, tell a friend. The main way that we continue to grow as a podcast is through word of mouth. So tell somebody that you think would benefit from a conversation like this one. Send this episode their way if they're dealing with imposter syndrome or self-doubt, and maybe this will help them out. If you want to support us financially, we are on Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com slash self-taught devs pod. We've got some goodies for you there every month, including a monthly newsletter from either myself or Matt, access to a Discord server so you can reach out and ask us questions directly or suggest topics for future episodes, and a special monthly episode just for Patreon supporters. And as an additional thank you, you get your name read at the end of every episode, just like these fine folks. Big thank you to Scott Bungren, Stephen Sheaves, Camille Onoda, Leo Ashcraft, Roxy Rodriguez-Becker, Nick Romanishan, Matt Hoadley, Danielle Arnett, Vanessa Vunn, and Danny McCollins. Thank you all so much for supporting the Self-Taught Devs podcast.
Thank you everyone for listening. If you aren't already, please subscribe. We release a new episode every Friday. If you want to help us grow, please share this show with your network. Check the show notes for all of our links. Reach out and say hi. Email us at selftaughtdevs at gmail.com if you have a recommendation for a guest or a topic. Thank you for listening to Self Taught Devs.